0: Well, happy Mother's Day. I know we've said it multiple times uh, in the service up to this point, and multiple people have addressed it, but I just want to address a few different groups of people in the room before we just jump into our message. Uh, and the first is intentionally to the moms of Journey Church. Uh, if you're here and connected to our body because your kids go here, or you are a mom that's connected as a member of one, or, one of us, um, I just want to say a special shout out to you. Uh, in, in light of today, I hope today is a special day that reminds you of all the joys of motherhood, the sweat, the blood, the tears, uh, and to remind you that it is a worthy calling to invest so much of you, so much of your time, your energy, and your effort into such tiny people. Uh, And I hope today is really special for you uh, in many ways. And the second group of people is to the spiritual sisters and mothers of Journey Church. The the primary illustration that the New Testament writers choose to talk about the church and the local church body is a family. And so that would mean that a family is made up of mothers and, and, and fathers, brothers and sisters. And without you, just females in our body, we would be incomplete. Because the reality is, is we need you. And I hope today you are reminded of that need that we need you, I hope you feel seen, and I hope that uh, my prayer is that as a part of our bodies, that our mothers and our sisters would be active and known that they are valued as a part of our body. And being valuable just simply means that wherever you find yourself inside the building or outside the building, wherever the avenues of life find you, that you can be found faithful, that faithful steward, that faithful witness of just being active wherever you go, of sharing the love and message of Jesus. But then also as a gathered people that you are active inside of our body, that we, our prayer is that you would be sharp theologically to strengthen and encourage your fellow brothers and sisters in the faith, that you would be active in just serving alongside and serving everywhere that you can be found. Our prayer is that you would be seen and known that you are valued today. And the last group of people is those who may be hurting for various reasons. Hurting because you long to be physical mothers and yet are not. Hurting because you've lost a child. Hurting because your mother is no longer on this earth. Or possibly because you didn't have the greatest example of what it meant to have a mother. Today, my prayer is that you feel seen, loved, and highly valued as a part of this church family. And know that during this difficult season that you have the unique opportunity to cling to the faithfulness of our God in such a unique way that many will never get the opportunity to do so based on your season. Our prayer is that you would learn to rest in his love, his perfect plan over your life and delight in his presence. Despite the trials, know that he is holding you and he has you in his hand. So if you would, would you just simply pray with me over these different groups of people? So if we would, just pray. Father God, we love you. I pray that each and every one of these groups of ladies feels valued, seen, and just could feel the overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit right now. And because they're part of this body, God, may our body be a group of people that can express the tangible love of you, Father, to each and every one of those groups of ladies today, God, that our prayers, they would feel seen and highly valued today and many other days. In Christ's name, amen. Well, today we start a brand new series called Set Apart. So if you have a copy of your scripture, turn to 1 Peter 2.9. And you already heard the verse read, but we're going to actually sit in this one verse for the next four weeks. And the verse is this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The series is called Set Apart, and how are we going to spend the next four weeks in just one simple verse? Well, this verse will probably take us to other verses, but... We're going to look at each one of those identity statements. Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for his own possession. One New Testament theologian says that this verse is the best verse for the job description of the New Testament Christian and the New Testament church. Because it clarifies both our identity and activity in one singular verse. So we're going to nuance it and clarify, like, what does it mean to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and what is that even? Because the reality is, is we all have identity and we all have I- activity. It reminds me when I was in high school and I played basketball in high school, our coach would regularly inform us that we were a team, but he never stopped there. He always clarified what it meant to be a team. To be on this team is you care about defense. He would always say defense wins championships, And he would say, what it means to be on this team is we always play straight up, help side, man-to-man defense. This is what it means to be on this team. So if you made a, what he would call, a boneheaded move on offense, you may get like a little bit of correction, like, hey, pass the ball next time. But if you made a mistake on defense, you always got pulled out of the game, explained what you did, and you sat your butt on the bench for a while. Because what it meant to be on this team is you cared about this activity. This is what it meant to be on this team. Thank God our coach in heaven doesn't pull us out of the game and reprimand us all the time, but he does not leave us hanging on what it means to be a Christian or what it means to be a part of the local church. Because the reality is, is we all know the fact that we have an identity. We all know that we have activity. But so much of the time we separate the two unintentionally in our lives. But the reality for us is this, is your identity informs your activity. Or to say it a slightly different way is, who you are defines what you do. They're always connected and interwoven in your life. That to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus and get your identity from above. But if you don't do that, the truth of the matter is this, is if you don't get your identity vertically, you will look for it and find it horizontally. You're like, no, that, that's, that can't be true. Well, the reality is, is for many of us, we do not get our identity vertically and find it horizontally very rather quickly. In many places, you may find your identity primarily in your relationships or you're looking for it there. You may get your identity in your spouse and who they are. You may vicariously live through your children. And you're like, that's not me. People don't do that. We'll go to an eight-year-old baseball game and you'll find a bunch of dads very quickly living through their children. And I say that tongue-in-cheekly because I have a, just a three-year-old, about to be three-year-old. Now, I already see myself just presupposing what I wish him to be with what I wish I was, just living through him. Well, it may be if you don't have kids or uh, kids yet, but you're finding your identity primarily in your job or career path or that next advanced degree that you could find. Like if I'll just be what I want to be when I become this job title or if I just land this role or maybe your identity is found in your hobby. If I can just get a few more strokes shaved off my golf score, I will be perfect. Or maybe it's in a a news outlet or a political party. None of these things that I've listed are bad per se, but they are very poor sources for the core of your identity and who you are and what you should be living for. This is why all over the New Testament, we're constantly reminded and called into to explain what it means to be in Christ or called children of God. All over the New Testament, it informs us, but this information is also directing us. It moves us to live in a different way. So let's look at this first identity marker, a chosen race, a chosen race. What is Peter saying here? This Greek word genos or race, literally the definition is this, a group with a common descent referred to by a single name. That Peter writes in 1 Peter to a large group of people. If you just go to 1 Peter one one and just read the list of cities and providences that he's listing and go to a first century map and start pinpointing these cities, you'll, you'll quickly figure out this is a very large mass of land. In fact, made up with multiple ethnicities, multiple skin colors, multiple races. But in this verse, when he gets to the specificness of like who they are he doesn't care about their skin color he doesn't care about their ethnicity that jews or gentiles he doesn't matter to him and it's rather ironic when you think about it because this is the same peter who's called out by paul for being racist in the book of galatians because he will not eat with gentiles when he was eating with gentiles previously but Peter has no interest in nuancing these terms. He rather is just singularing his focus into the Christian community and calls them a chosen race. And this is actually picked up on by our later uh, Christian history uh, r- record keepers by one that I want to reference here is Tertullian, who was uh, from the um, African providence, uh, Roman providence in Africa, rather, cartilage. And he writes this in one of his books, The Outcry is that of the state is filled with Christians. That they are in the fields, in the citadels, in the islands, both sexes, every age and condition. Even high rank are passing over and the, the profession of the Christian faith. The point is that, that Tertullian wants to make here is that he can't pinpoint down what is it that makes a Christian. Because in every other social club, in every other thing that would gather there would be some kind of common identity marker well this is the boys club so it's only the males are in this club well that wasn't right because male and female are becoming christian well this must be because of this ethnicity but it was like well there's both there's all kinds of skin colors becoming christian this doesn't make any sense well maybe it's once you hit a certain age well he says every age is becoming christian well this doesn't make sense Maybe there's some kind of physical fitness test that you have to pass in order to become a Christian. Well, they're all physical conditions. That doesn't make sense. Well, maybe there's some kind of social status of high-ranking government official that you have to cross to become a Christian. Well, they are every social class. Well, maybe it's some kind of due that you have to pay, so it's really high price, so that's what it means to become a Christian. Well, every financial status or p- passing over and profession the Christian faith, and So the reality is, is the only marker that Tertullian and even Peter pick up on is like, it's like they're like a race. It's like, because every, everybody is becoming a Christian. It's the only way that we can really describe it as a, as a chosen race. And it's not to say that any of the markers that he lists or that I just worked through are, are bad or go away, but rather what Peter and Tertullian note is that they all come under the identity marker of follower of Jesus. That... Our ethnicity, our gender, our age, our physical status, our social status, our financial status. It's not that they're bad. It's just that they come under what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They're secondary to the primary marker of Jesus follower. Because what links this group of people, this weird group of people that are from both genders, every skin color, every social status, is Jesus. He's the thing that holds all other things together. Because Peter says earlier in chapter 2, this in verse 4, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. As you come to him, he is the one we're coming to. Peter says that Jesus was the first one who was chosen. And the only one precious in the sight of God the Father. And the only acceptable sacrifice in order that we may be called a chosen race. That there's nothing we could have done to earn it or deserve it. But rather Jesus on our behalf did for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's why in the next verse in verse 5 he says you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. That you're simply the house but you're not the builder. That we are being built by God. He is bringing growth not only in our lives individually, but also collectively. That God is the one from the beginning of all things that has been building this people, this chosen race, as he calls it. And it's easy as you think of like, why is Peter picking up on this? And if you know your Bible in Old Testament, you'll know that the nation of Israel was called the chosen race. So Peter is doing something very interesting here. Because in Deuteronomy Moses is telling the nation of Israel why they're so chosen and special. Deuteronomy 10:14 it says behold the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens the earth and all that's in it yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them you above all peoples as this day. There's nothing special about you only the fact that God picked you. You did nothing special. Israel. Only it's that God saw you and said, I'm picking you. And the reality is, is that Peter's picking up on this language of house and race. Because houses are sitting in specific locations. There's no such thing as motor homes or, or boat houses in this day. That houses, they sat still. They didn't move. They were in a particular place. And the same with races, that a race was in a particular place. That it was very present in the society. That in the way that God has moved through the Bible, is he has moved in such a way that he's moved towards his people. And he's called his people to be a chosen race. Present in a society, but it wasn't supposed to stay with them. That they were called to be present and active right there where they were. And the thing that held them together was Jesus that all throughout the Bible God has been building this one people that are unified in Christ and he calls them a chosen race so to say it like this is that a chosen race is equal to a people of presence if you're taking notes that be helpful to write that down a chosen race is a people of presence and I want to show you this in a quick like biblical theology of scanning the Bible from Genesis all the way to the New Testament very briefly and I promise briefly is, is honest because this, on the very beginning of Scripture, that God made the world in Genesis 1 and 2. And he was very present in that world. He was present even when the people sinned. In Genesis 3a, after the first sin of Adam and Eve, it says this, that they, that's Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool today. That even in the midst of their sin, God is moving towards them, presently with them. And then later in Genesis, God goes to a man called Abram. Or Abraham, we'll later know his name's changed too. And he speaks to him and he says this to him in Genesis twelve two, And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Notice the language here that God says, I'm the one that's going to make you. I'm going to make you into a people. I'm going to make you in order to bless other people. God says, I'm present with you and I'm being present with you so that you can be present with other people. And then in Exodus, we get that God speaks to Moses through a burning bush and then a pillar of cloud, then a pillar of fire and then a tent. He's actively present and speaking with his people. And then after Moses receives the 10 commandments in the book of the covenant, Exodus 19, he says this to them, that you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God's the one who's been making his people all along. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be called a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. God moved towards his people, made them, and calls them to be a treasured possession to bless other people. He speaks to them on a mountain, then speaks to them in a tabernacle, speaks to them in a temple. And then one other Old Testament reference is in the prophets in the book of Isaiah. Literally Isaiah 43:21. You can see verse 20 there for reference. But verse 21 almost sounds verbatim what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9. The people whom I formed for myself that, I, that they might declare my praise. That I am forming a people that may proclaim to others how good I am. That God has been doing this from beginning to end and moving and speaking to his people in a variety of ways, all culminating in the most present person, Christ. When Jesus in John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that God has been moving towards his people, moving towards them, presently with them, calling them to follow his model. Following him is to be present with the people that we are with, and with others. It's to be categorically different from all other people in our society, because the reality is, is like he says in the verse previous, 1 Peter two eight, they stumble because they disobey the word, and they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race; you're different. And the point that Peter is making here is the point that the entire Bible has been making. Is we are called to be present in our society. And the word that Peter picks up on, the, the title is chosen race. He's picking up on this Old Testament theme of present in a society, in a culture, present with God. And we are called to follow that model and move towards each other and towards our society. So if, you were, if you're taking notes, write this down. Followers of Jesus are called to be a people of presence. We're called to be a people of presence. But how? So that 10 minutes was just giving you a brief overview of how Peter's picking up on this. But how? What is our activity? If our identity is chosen race or people of presence, how are we called to do this? How are we called to be a people of presence? Well, I'm going to give you four options that I believe that different churches, specifically in the West, have taken in order to pick up on this theme. And we're going to ask the question of Journey Church and of ourselves of what are we called to? What are we called to in order to be found faithful and set apart, if you will? The first option is the purity from approach. Purity from And if you don't like any of these renderings, let me nuance it a little bit and help you see what I'm defining this as. A positive and a negative from each one of these approaches. So this approach, the purity from approach, would see that Christians' main job and ultimately the church's main job is to guard our own integrity. To guard the integrity of our spiritual life, our doctrine, the way we live our lives. So this would mean that our primary job, if you will, is to actively separate ourselves in as many ways as possible from others that aren't followers of Jesus. Now the strength in this would be that we keep sound and right beliefs. But the weakness is, this is not what God did with us. That God, when we were hostility towards him, and when people collectively sinned against God, he didn't remove himself from us, but he actually moved Towards us, We've already read this verse, but look at it together in, in John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That to say it plainly is faithfulness cannot look like avoiding everyone else's mess. Because we are messy and God in our mess moved towards us. And if we're called to model after the way Christ lived and worked in our lives is we can't take this approach. So what about the second approach? The second approach, I'm I'm calling it the defense against. The defense against approach. This would see the main calling of Christians and uh, others to be what we'll just tongue-in-cheekly call Facebook warriors. That we aggressively challenge and counter other people's views and values when they are different from ours. And the strength of this is that God has called us to actively engage our culture. To actively uh, and intellectually be, uh, be a people with a set of beliefs and live differently. That we are set apart, as the series title is. But the weakness of this is this characterizes God and Christians and their relationship to the world as exclusively a battle of right beliefs. Yet, our Savior laid down the, his life for the good of others. Put it plainly, is we cannot define success based on defeating others. That that is not what faithfulness looks like. So if it's not purity from or defense against, well, what about relevance to? Approach number three. Relevance to is, would see the main call of Christians and even ourselves is to collaborate with others in order just to advance the larger good. The, the value of this, the pro of this approach is that we are called biblically to go out into the world and be active and, and faithful uh, wherever we are seen. In every avenue of business and every avenue of culture that we're called to engage it. But the weakness of this approach is that the lines can be somewhat unclear when it comes to embracing the aims and belief systems and the methods ultimately of achieving this partnership with the world. Because Peter says the goal in our activity with the world is not partnership, rather it's proclamation. Look at 1 Peter 2.9, one more time. It says, but you are a chosen race. And there's three other things that are there. That purpose statement, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That the task of the church is to serve the world in the already state that it is while bearing witness to the not yet, what is to come as Christ comes back into the world. And a church is less about partnering and more about being a prophetic voice in the world. Simply stated, what it means to be faithful is, is it cannot be defined as simply joining the world in partnership. So what are we to do? What are we to do in order to link arms together... And, and be faithful together and wherever God sends us. Well, the fourth approach, which I, mean, I believe models after Christ the best, is faithful in. Faithful in. That as Christians and as the church, we're called to go in the fullness of the culture, bearing the fullness of the gospel for the purpose of redemption. Redemption, And this is take, taken exactly from the life of Christ, who entered into creation in a full body. Fully embracing who he was, but yet staying faithful to his identity and mission. To be physically present with his people he was trying to reach. Unlike purity from approach, the church and followers of Jesus individually should endeavor to enter every sphere of creation. Unlike defense against approach, the church should see itself as a movement of hope, not an angry movement of conquest. Unlike the relevance to approach, the church should go fully into the culture while maintaining its integrity of proclamation as a set-apart people by God. To say it plainly, you could write this statement down or take out your phone and take a picture. Followers of Jesus are only faithful when they are both not of the world and yet sent into the world as those who are chosen and appointed that should go and bear fruit. From the start of us individually and collectively, this is what we're called to. This is what we're called to do. And how we do that at Journey best, I believe, is through our group strategy. Because our groups are a group of people who regularly meet in the mess of life together, seeking to hold each other accountable to the mission and identity of us individually and collectively, and then go out into the world. Because the reality is, number one, we're not meant to do life alone but number two, the life of a Jesus follower was never attempted as a solo mission. It was always meant to be as a group mission, a together mission of moving together as a movement of people headed towards a common goal. That the good news of Jesus is our common source point. It's our common starting place. That things bring us together that, of Jesus that we would never be caught dead in the same room together because we have nothing in common. That we could be of different financial status, social status. We could like different things, have different hobbies. Our families could be different. Our ages could be different. But because of Jesus, we can meet under the same roof, under the same group. And we go together as a people of presence all because of his name. That our church, the reality is, is the size we are, we cannot be as intentional as we want to be without groups. Because groups are a front line of care, compassion, life, mountaintops, and valley moments, prayer, and applying the Bible to real life situations. That's the heartbeat and passion of our groups ministry. And so if you're not in a group and you call Journey Home or, or maybe uh, whatever the case would be and you haven't been in a group in a while, you can simply do that by going to jcsignup.com, shocker, right? And click find a group. Because the reality is, is right now is actually no better time to test out a group if you haven't been in one in a while or maybe you've never done one. Because we have one group of, uh, one week of group left and then we're taking three weeks off and then the summer group uh, semester will start June 11th. And on June 11th will be the kickoff of our Proverbs series where we're simply uh, walking through Proverbs for the summer uh, and a very practical book on wisdom of living your life well. And then once you get in a group, your role is to build community into that group. Being a faithful witness everywhere it takes you. Being that spiritual house that God is building. But we together are a collective house. As a representative of the chosen race. But yet all together we are the chosen race. That what brings us together is Jesus himself. Is sharing what Jesus did. He is our common starting point. And the common name, Christian or common name, follower of Jesus, that's what brings us together. But the reality is that some of us probably don't have that common starting block. As Peter will later say in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, this is what Christ did. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. That what Christ did was he suffered on our behalf. What he did was he lived the life we couldn't live, died the death that we deserve but then rose back from the dead to give us new life. That because of his spirit within us, that it doesn't matter our social status, our gender, our uh, our job, our family structure, our age, our physical limitations or physical ability, but because of him, we have unity in the spirit. That we can all simply be called a chosen race or followers of Jesus, a people of presence, because of the work that he's done within us. He has made us alive because of his Spirit. It's our common starting block. And so today, there's simply just two action steps that all of us or some of us need to take either one or both of them. The first is if you're not a follower of Jesus, we would love nothing more than to extend the opportunity of you to start being a follower of Jesus today. He can give you a new identity which will move you to new activity. And the activity of being faithful within, wherever that within is for you, that workplace, that household a community wherever that is is being faithful within you're called to be right where god has placed you and be faithful right there but second action step is you're never meant to do that alone so i want to heavily encourage you to go to jcsignup.com and click find a group if you're not in a group or if you are in a group be intentional this week to build into that community that you've been placed in because we are better together than we ever could be apart that we desire to care for one another, hold each other accountable, go through the mountains and the valleys together. So which one are you going to do today? Find a group, start following Jesus, or simply just build into the community that you already have. I want to encourage you to do one or maybe all those things. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. We're grateful for you and what Christ has done on our behalf. God, I pray that we simply wouldn't just hear these words spoken, but we would move on them and do something with them. God, I pray that we would be a church and a a people that could be a people of presence and be found faithful right where you have us and being a good steward right where you have us. In Jesus' name, amen.